Late Night Conversations. Well, uh, A-teamers, let's uh, look at a a topic that is quite interesting. And I I know when we throw the word decolonization of education, a lot of people are already excited about this particular uh, subject. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Samuels. How are you doing this evening? I'm very well. Thank you, Patricia. And thank you for having me on your program. Thank you for joining us, uh, because it seems like amid the the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, there's been a lot that has been happening in the background, especially when it comes uh, to education and also digital technologies. Could you please take us through uh, the concept of decolonization through inclusive virtual collaboration? Yes, uh, certainly. I think, uh, you know, the COVID period has been a really difficult period for everybody and particularly those of us that were trying to maintain the education of our young people. Um, And at universities, one of the huge challenges was around internationalization. Um, And uh, we actually, some years ago, decided that internationalization wasn't going to be something for the elite minority, but we were going to take internationalization to all our students and staff. Uh, One of the challenges around the old notions of internationalization was that it was all about academic mobility. And academic mobility is really limited to the elite few. Uh, Europe, which has the best funded internationalization program, still gets no more than 20% of their students to be internationally mobile. And we all know Europe is such a small continent that you could literally internationalize on a bicycle in one day going through two or three countries. That figure of 20% dropped to about 7% in America, the U.S., and 1% in Africa. So our challenge was around how we took internationalization to the other 99% of our students. And we decided that we were going to use the concept of virtual engagement or virtual collaboration. So about seven years ago, we started working around collaborative online international learning, where we shared part of a module with an international university. It was jointly taught. Students had virtual activities jointly, and then the assessment was also done jointly. What has happened is the COVID period has actually amplified this, and it's accelerated the growth of this concept largely because academic mobility was just not possible in 2020. We've taken it a step further to say that internationalization can also be used as a vehicle for decolonization. I think conventional wisdom, uh, you know, dictated that there's a possibility that actually internationalization and decolonization run counter to each other. And we, in, in arguing for internationalization to be used as a vehicle to decolonize. In many ways, we broke broke those notions by saying that broader and deeper internationalization was one of the ways in which we could decolonize. So that's the summary of the journey that we've taken, Patricia. Well, let, let's talk more about uh, decolonizing in, 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 the, in the context of also internalizing. Uh, interna- there goes the word, but uh, internalization. internalization. Yeah, um, because it, 
it would seem very far-fetched for the two to marry each other because when you're thinking decolonizing education and, and ensuring that we are centric to the African focus, then we would not need to be sharing that information on an international platform. Sure. Um, I think you're right that if you, if you look at it, um, you know, at first glance, it would certainly seem that way. But firstly, the whole concept of decolonization is one that is not, that doesn't have a common understanding. Universities, academics, students are all grappling with what it means to decolonize. And remember, it's, a decolonization is not just occurring in South Africa or Africa. Around the world, universities and academics are grappling with what decolonization is. The Russell Group of universities in the UK, which are the top research universities, are also embarking on how they can decolonize their curriculum. So I think we have to dispel the notion that decolonization is only about Africanization. It certainly would be one of the ways that we decolonize, but it's also about looking at... um, you know, types of knowledge that have not been given their rightful place, um, you know, uh, at universities in the knowledge landscape. And if I were to give one or two examples of that, when we study HIV and AIDS, we look firstly at all the models of success in the Western world. And yet, uh, some of the best HIV AIDS programs have actually been in parts of Africa, We look at, for example, the program in Uganda that was so successful. When we look at healthcare systems, again, there's a tendency to look to the West. And yet we all know that Cuba has an excellent healthcare system, a country that has a GDP that is a fraction of most Western countries, is able to deliver a healthcare system that is actually, you know, uh, that 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 has a, a private place when we look at public health and how it's delivered. So there are many examples internationally that can that are not that have not been involved that can actually broaden brought in to broaden education, to broaden concepts and to decolonize by by challenging the dominant paradigms in education. We are talking to Dr. Laverne Samuels, uh, and uh, we are looking at uh, decolonization through inclusive virtual collaboration uh, that is happening at higher education institutions. A-teamers, please do join in on the conversation and ask your questions or give us your comments on 011-714-2006 or WhatsApp on 614 Uh, Now, uh, Dr. Samuels, let's come back to the South African and African context um, when it comes to decolonizing our education system or even some of the subjects. How do we then propose that we also uh, not neglect the fact that, um, you know, we'd love to have a narrative um, that is pro-Africa in our education system that we could then also virtually be able to share with the rest of the world as opposed to bringing new ways of learning only that are really not centric to who we are as Africans? Uh, yes, Patricia, and I think that is one of the um, the true gifts of internationalization in that it is not uh, a one-way traffic. It's not just about bringing concepts to your country, but also creating platforms to take indigenous knowledge, to take South African knowledge, to take 
unique concept within our country and continent to the rest of the world. And I think this is where internationalization becomes a powerful tool for transformation. Um, and it's how we have approached internationalization. Our partnerships are never about bringing information, knowledge, skills, just to our university. But we always engage around the concept of mutuality. And that mutuality means that our partners respect us enough to also take what we offer and deal with that um, and, and value what we have to offer. Dr. Samuels, which are some of your partners in terms of countries that have come on board and are willing to share this beautiful virtual collaboration platform? Well, we actually have partners on all continents. Um, International virtual engagement or COIL, collaborative online internationalization, started in the U.S. So our original partners were in the U.S. However, over time, we've diversified. We work with partners in North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and more recently in Africa. Uh, Technology in Africa has its challenges around bandwidth, Wi-Fi, um, accessibility to the Internet. But we've managed to actually overcome that and, and actually take this concept to our African partners as well. So we really do have partners across the world. Let me go to Anonymous is holding from KZN. Anonymous, good evening. Good evening to you, Patricia, and good evening to your guest. I just want to inquire, why do we have segregations like in schools? Like we have private Model C schools, and we have provincial schools, government schools, you know, all different types of schools. Why don't we have the same schooling for all walks of life, regardless of the color, caste, or creed, and show, uh, uh, you know, show we are diverse in, in schools, and, and we all have the same education, instead one is superior to the other. Some educations are superior to the other, some are like private schools where only certain people can go to that school. So we should have one school, same type of schooling for everyone. And then we all can communicate with each other even better. Thank you very much, Anonymous. I'll uh, give your question uh, to Dr. Samuels to respond. Uh, why don't we have uh, an equal education system, Dr. Samuels? Okay. Um Patricia, it's not really my area, but I, as, as someone involved in higher education, I will certainly um, try to answer that question. I think it's largely because we are a country that, uh, whose constitution allows for that freedom, and that freedom is about the state providing education, but private providers also providing that education. And all our education is governed by minimum standards. So, you know, whether you're part of a state school or private school, you would have certain minimum standards. And, of course, we have examinations that are either done through, um, you know, uh, the national school system or the independent uh, school system. All of it, though, is governed by a quality agency at a school level called Umalusi, and at higher education, we have a quality agency called uh, the Council for Higher Education. So I think in some, uh, these organizations level the playing field, at least in terms of standards. In terms of facilities, I think even within the state sector, we have differences. And a lot of it is historical. It, it, you know, it depends on the region. 
urban schools versus rural schools, the history of the school in terms of which department of education it may have come to come uh, through in, in terms of the history. But I think it's one of the challenges that we have as a country um, in, in, in terms of le- leveling the playing field and creating an a education system at school level and at university level where there is some degree of um, equity. I don't think any school or university can be exactly the same because you will always have pockets of excellence, for example, at a university. Some universities, for example, have research interests that make them specialized in a particular area and they excel in this area. Other universities have other areas in which they excel. But I think we can talk of a broad concept of equity, but never one where universities or schools will be exactly the same. Because in that variation also comes creativity, flair, specialization and excellence. Let's go to a break and we'll be back. I see we've got uh, some A-teamers on the line holding to speak to you, uh, the Dr. Samuels. The time is 10 minutes to 11. At 11 o'clock, remember, Zulakat Kodashe comes in with the final news bulletin. And after that, we speak uh, family-focused closet conversations dealing with grief. For now, we are looking at a decolonization through inclusive virtual collaboration with uh, Dr. Laverne Samuels, who is uh, the Director of International Education and Partnerships at the Durban University of Technology and is also a chair of the Directors Forum of the International Education Association of South Africa. SMS SAFM now on 41391. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Well, Ronnie was on the line, and uh, Ronnie, please do call back because we wanted to hear what your stance is on uh, the issue of decolonization through inclusive virtual collaboration in higher education institutions. We're talking to Dr. Samuels about the issue, and we'd love to hear from you, so please do call back, Ronnie. I've got Aisha on the line. Aisha, good evening. Good evening. Um, Dr. Samuels, is it? Yes. Dr. Samuels, decolonization, according to my understanding, is context-specific. So I would like to know, how does that work in, in, under this internationalization, firstly? And secondly, um, your reference to concept. I agree with you that that internationalization is the perfect vehicle for for decolonization. However, my concern is how this is going to work and what will be foregrounded and what will be backgrounded. And furthermore, when it comes to our now South Africa specific, when it comes to basic education, how are you going to do that? Thank you. I'll, I will listen on the radio. Thank you, Aisha, for your questions. Dr. Samuels, did you get the questions? Jim? 
Um, basic education is not my area of specialization. I'm involved in higher education, but I will answer uh, the question uh, conceptually. I think uh, one of the ways that internationalization actually assists with decolonization is about bringing new voices to the table, voices that have not been at the table for, for centuries. They've been dominated by particular voices, by particular countries. And internationalization is, uh, in the way that we practice it uh, for decolonization, is about inclusivity, it's about plurality, it's about diversity, it's about addressing social justice issues. In doing that, in bringing these new voices to the table, you actually create a type of exposure to your students that broadens their horizons. I agree with Aisha that it is context specific. And certainly the type of decolonization we would have in Africa would certainly have an African bent. It would be about bringing African voices to the table in, 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 in a very, very uh, focused manner. So yes, it is certainly um, context bound. Uh, and uh, I think, however, if we are insular in that approach to in internationalization by excluding the rest of the world, then we actually lose out on that plurality and diversity that is so important for, for actually giving our, uh, our young minds that we educate exposure to something beyond what is uh, available locally or in the region. Um, there's, uh, there's, you know, when, when we talk about um, internationalization and about new voices, it reminds me of one of my favorite African proverbs. And that proverb goes this way. For as long as the lion does not have a storyteller, the story of the hunt will always glorify the hunter. And for many years, our history, our textbooks, our knowledge has actually been couched in a particular paradigm. And using internationalization to break that paradigm and broaden it is actually also about celebrating what we have in this continent. So it's, yes, we go beyond Africa, but we also take Africa beyond this continent and, and its setting to the rest of the world, celebrating all that it has to offer. So uh, yep, in a nutshell, that would be my response to Aisha. Let me go to Ronnie. Ronnie, good evening. Thank you for yes, calling back. Uh, Sister Patricia, how are you? I'm good, thank you. It sounded like you're about to say Ronnie Sister Bettina. <laughs> First time I'm speaking to you. Welcome to the show. I, I'm going to be very quick. I'm going to be very quick. I'm staying in Cape Town. I was uh, I'm a exes at Durban night. I'm very proud to tell. Very proud to tell. I call my exes. I'm going to be very quick now because I know that uh, Stephen in the morning, I couldn't get hold of him. He's uh, 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 got coronavirus and what and what and what. But Actually, uh, I got four doctors. My daughter got coronavirus. She's a specialist, cancer specialist at Kuzuki uh, Hospital. But sister, sister Patricia, I'm not phoning for that. I'm here for six years now in Kapstad. Ne? Mm -hmm. I stay, because a child from Durban. I'm staying with the colored people. They're my friends. For the last six years, sister, the lights are burning day and night. The whole of family. 
it seems we've lost Ronnie, his line uh, cut for some reason, and we didn't get to the bottom of it. But I think he was also not on topic per se, Dr. Samuels. However, with the l- a bit of time that we've got left, uh, Dr. Samuels, I want to find out uh, from you, uh, with, with the way the academic year is looking, 2021, do you feel that uh, the virtual collaborations are still going to move forward and is there going to be a bigger uptake with all the higher education institutions? Yes, I think uh, virtual uh, engagement is certainly going to uh, accelerate in its uh, in its uptake across the higher education sector. I think not only is it something that is now essential because we're not able to engage in uh, face-to-face engagements. But I think people are seeing an opportunity to actually take internationalization, to take engagement, to take collaboration, to scale, to take it to the next level, and to involve more of their staff and students and extend the benefit to more students and staff. So whereas all types of internationalization were very much about the individual benefit. This is about the collective benefit and the systemic benefit. And I think with universities seeing how this works, I think there will be far more buy-in. There will be far more creative uh, energy put into this. And I can see internationalization um, in a virtual context really taking off and becoming a central way in which we internationalize our universities. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Samuels. And we do hope uh, that the program does gain much strength so that we can all learn from each other as a global society and uh, also that we can also be able to share our African uh, uh, perspective on education. We really appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Patricia. It's been a pleasure being with you this evening.